Welcome to the well. Welcome to those upstairs worshiping in the well cafe. I just learned how to turn my mic on. I've been doing this for 14 years, but sometimes you need a little refresher. Um, I want to welcome you, especially if this is your first time here with us at First Methodist Mansfield. Uh, we're delighted to have you uh, as our guest today. If you have any questions about the life of our church, I uh, would love for you to stop by one of our connecting points uh, after the service. Uh, we've had two busy weeks here on our campus. Uh, two weeks ago, we hosted a gathering of uh, church leaders from around Central Texas. Texas, a, a, a gathering we call annual conference, and then this last week we had vacation Bible camp, uh, which involves another thousand people on our campus celebrating uh, and, and being a part of that great experience. And before we jump into the message this morning, uh, I want to share with you a quick video recap of vacation Bible camp this year.
I want you to know a few things about Vacation Bible Camp. First, you saw uh, pictures of kids uh, packing bags, uh, food bags. That's uh, in partnership with Feed the Kids for Summer. It's a program here in the Mansfield community that supports kids who during the school year are on free and reduced lunch and often struggle to, to have that, that healthy lunch during the summer. Our kids also raised right at $3,000 for that program through Vacation Bible Camp. So we celebrate that and celebrate our kids' generosity. Uh, I had the chance to, to visit with the volunteers before Vacation Bible Camp started, and I shared with them why we do uh, something like vac- Vacation Bible Camp. Uh, I said, very simply, we do this to bless kids. And I invited them to think about the kids who are going to be on our campus in kind of three different categories. The first category are are our kids who will be here to participate in our Vacation Bible Camp. Kids who have been raised within the life of this church, many of whom have been baptized in this church. Children that we have made promises to, promises to support them and nurture them as they continue to grow in their faith. And so we do Vacation Bible Camp to bless kids that belong to us, that we've made a promise to, to nurture and help grow. The second category are kids who belong to another church. Uh, but they're coming to our vacation Bible camp because ours is that week and they'll be in their vacation Bible camp in, in another week. And what I said was we, we want to bless them too because we believe God loves every child and God loves every church. And so for those kids, we got the opportunity to not only bless them but also to bless their church by pouring into the life of one of their, one of their uh, young kids. But then the third category, kids who don't belong to a church. And many of those are kids who know something about Jesus but know maybe nothing about his love. And so Vacation Bible Camp, that opportunity to be together and to celebrate and smile and and share that is a way to make that love real to them. And so if you were one of those volunteers or did anything to help support Vacation Bible Camp, uh, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that gift and thank you for blessing the kids of our community. Uh, This is the fourth message in a series that we've been doing called The Gospel According to Disney. And if this is your first time here, let me just reset a little bit of what we've been talking about. We've been looking at Disney and and, and a film each week. and, And the idea behind that is we've looked at the fact that Disney is really in the business of telling compelling stories. Uh, every time a new film comes out, we, we line up to see it because we have this sense that the story that is going to be told will not only be meaningful, it will connect with us, uh, but it will be a compelling story that, that, that touches our own lives. We said that Disney, what they really do is tell the same story over and over and over again. They tell redemption stories. Uh, they're stories of individuals who receive a second chance, stories of, of, of characters who overcome insurmountable odds, stories of good finally winning in the end. They're stories which touch us and, and warm our hearts because they are stories that not only remind us of the story of Jesus, but they remind us of the story that we ourselves are meant to live. And so the central theme that we've walked through throughout this series is this, that the goal of your life, if you said yes to Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, the goal of your life is to live a redemptive story. In other words, the arc of these stories, what we, what we see being played out over and over again of characters receiving a second chance, people who find themselves in the beginning of these movies lost, not really knowing what direction their life should take, and, 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 and grabbing hold of a new way of understanding that that arc, that narrative, that's the same uh, arc that your life is meant to have as well. The goal of your life, if you've said yes to Jesus, is to live a redemptive story. And so we've looked at these films, we've looked at these stories for the sake of helping ourselves live a better story with our own life. 
So, so far we've looked at the Lion King, we've looked at Aladdin, we looked at Mary Poppins last week. Uh, we're going to look at a franchise of films uh, today. But first I want to share with you something that was kind of from the first week. I mentioned to you Donald Miller, who's an author who writes about story and how story helps us uh, shape our own lives and how we live. Don- Donald says that a story is really has four parts. There's four components of a story. A story first involves a character. And it's a character who wants something and has to overcome conflict to get it. So every story that you've ever read, if it's a good story, if it's a compelling story, it has those four components. There's a character in the story, the character wants something, and the character has to overcome conflict in order to get it. So last week when we looked at Mary Poppins, we talked about the idea that one of the most important questions we have to ask ourselves every single day is where do you want to go? What do you really want? What, what do you want your life to be about? Because if you don't know what you want, you don't know what's at stake. Every single day of your life and the decisions that you make, you don't know what's at stake if you don't know what you want. To live a redemptive story, it involves a character, but the character has to know what they want, where they are going, what their life is all about. That's an example of what we talked about in terms of living a redemptive story. So this week, again, we're talking about a franchise of films. Uh, the first one came out in 1995. Uh, it was a partnership in the beginning between Pixar uh, and Disney. The first film was Toy Story. Have any of y'all seen uh, Toy Story? Uh, okay, a few of you have seen that movie. It was followed up in uh, 1999, I believe, uh, with Toy Story 2, and then in 2010, Toy Story 3. Cumulative gross earnings of all three films, just a little south of $2 billion. That's that's how successful the Toy Story franchise uh, has been. Since we're looking at all three films, I'm not going to go through the entire plot line of every single one of these these films, but I want to talk first just about some of the overarching themes that we see throughout each of these three movies. And you might describe it in this way, that, that, that the films are about change, Uh, They're about growing up and they're about childhood innocence. And as you move through the film, it's about the loss of those things. So in the first film, uh, you have the central character, Woody, who is dealing with the introduction of a new toy into Andy's life, the, the boy who owns these toys. There's a birthday party, and at the birthday party, Andy gets a new toy Uh, Buzz, who is a space ranger. He has all sorts of gadgets and features that the old cowboy doll, Woody, does not have. And Woody, for the first time, has to deal with the idea that he may no longer be Andy's favorite toy. In the second film, it opens up with, with Woody really excited because he's going into what is for him the most exciting week of the year. He's about to go with Andy to cowboy camp. So Andy's heading to cowboy camp. Of course, he has to take his cowboy doll with him to cowboy camp. He's excited because it's his individual time with Andy that he has all, all year long. And, and in advance of their departure, while Andy is playing with Woody, he rips the seam on his arm. And though Andy is just as upset as Woody is, he finally agrees with his mom that it's not a good idea this year to take Woody to cowboy camp. 
Uh, in the third film, the toys are all going through what you might call a toy midlife crisis. As Andy is preparing to go off to college and they are wondering what that will mean for them, some of them are really hoping that they will enter into toy retirement by being placed in the box and put in the attic. Some are worried that they're going to be sold in a yard sale or donated to, to some other organization, and some are holding out hope that they might make it into one of the boxes that is going to go with Andy to college into that next phase uh, of their life. And in the third film, they all end up at a preschool. They are sentenced to being played with by the toddlers, uh, sentenced there by the other toys who, who are terrorizing them. Uh, that's kind of the, the third film. Uh, so we see these themes of, of childhood and growing up and the loss of innocence and, and, and change. But, but really, if you wanted to synthesize it just to one thing, we would say that the Toy Story films are about relationships. They're about the relationships between these, these two toys. The nemesis uh, of Woody in the first film, Buzz, uh, becomes his best friend. And in the second film, it's, it's, it's Buzz who ends up leading the rescue party who goes to, to, to save Woody. In the third film, one of the most moving moments in, in, in the entire series, if you've seen this part, this is the part that you cried, don't, don't deny it, you did. They're on the conveyor belt at the garbage dump. They're heading to the incinerator, sorry, spoiler alert. They're, they're, their life is about to be over, and as they're, as they're heading there, there's no chance of survival. These, these toys just reach out to, to hold one another as, as they move towards their death. But of course, when all hope is lost, they are saved, the alien toys learn to operate the claw, and they are rescued from, from their doom. It's, it's about the relationship between these two toys. But, but really, the movie is about one relationship. It's about the relationship between the central character, Woody, and the boy that he loves, named Andy. So while Woody and Buzz and Jesse and Bullseye and all of these other toys, they really dominate the, the screen time in, in all three of the movies, it, it's the boy that we don't see that much of and we actually know very little of who is really behind every single scene of all three movies. And the reason for that is really quite simple. It's because somewhere in his life, Woody made a decision that his life was not about him, his life was about Andy. And so as you move through the film and you move through all the, the chaos and, and circumstances that, that Woody faces and the rest of the toys face together, Woody filters all of those experiences, all of those, all of those circumstances through that particular lens, through that filter, that idea that his life is not about him. He made a decision that his life would be about Andy. About a month ago, uh, some of you know that we were a part of an event called LeaderCast, bringing that here uh, to our community. We've been a part of LeaderCast for the last several years, uh, an event that's really focused on helping people be better leaders. Uh, it actually takes place in Atlanta, Georgia, and then it's uh, broadcast through many different sites throughout the United States. This year it was worldwide, uh, and again, an, a secular event that focuses on helping people who are leaders in the marketplace become better leaders. 
the very first talk uh, that morning was given uh, by a guy named Andy Stanley. Some of you know that name. You've heard me quote him before. Andy's a, a pastor uh, just outside Atlanta. And he talked, uh, he introduced the, the topic for the, for the day, which was becoming a beyond you leader, a leader who, who serves and helps others achieve uh, their own goals. And one of the things that Andy said in the course of that, that talk really struck me uh, because of the context in, in which he shared it. This is what he said. He said, the value of a life is always measured by how much of it is given away. Now that struck me because I thought to myself, you know, this, this is not a statement that Andy is making in the context of a weekend worship service. It would make total sense there. I mean, that, that idea certainly connects with our faith and how we think about life, but, but he shared it with, with people uh, not only all around the United States, but also all around the world from different faith perspectives, different ideas about life. But you just had this sense that Andy had shared a truth that everyone could kind of lean into. That the value of a life, regardless of your perspective, what you think about faith or whether faith is even a part of your life, the value of a life is always measured by how much of life is given away. He, he went on to say this, at the end of someone's life, we never celebrate accumulation. Instead, we celebrate their generosity and their selflessness. He said, of all the funerals that I've done, no one has ever asked me to share with the congregation a review of their financial statements or what car they drove or how big their house was. We never celebrate those things. Instead, what we celebrate is generosity and selflessness because the way in which we measure life is by how much of that life is given away. And when those things are missing from a life, we have very little to say about it. And we have very little to celebrate because that's how we measure life. We measure life by how much of it is given away. Your life is meant to be a redemptive story. In the scriptures, there are many individuals who, who live out incredibly redemptive stories, but, but the one that, that really jumps out at me is the story of a man named Saul. We meet Saul in Acts chapter 7. And when we meet Saul in Acts chapter 7, Saul is participating. In fact, he's leading a, a party who, who, who stones the first Christian to be martyred for their faith, a man by the name of Stephen. Saul is there approving of, of Stephen's murder. And Saul does that because Saul ha has a very deep conviction at that particular time in his life. His conviction was this, that Jesus was not the Messiah. Saul didn't believe in Jesus. In fact, Saul saw Jesus as a false prophet who had come to lead good Jews away from their identity, their covenant that they had established with God. He didn't believe in him. Saul thought he was an imposter. Saul thought that the resurrection was a hoax that was, that was played out by the followers of Jesus, again, to, to manipulate uh, good Jews away from their true identity and their true calling. And so Saul acted in defense of what he thought was the true understanding uh, of the faith, the spiritual rebellion that was happening all around him. Saul was ultimately on the wrong side of history, working against the story of reconciliation and redemption that God was working in the world. But Saul got a second chance. 
On the road to Damascus, he, was, he encountered the resurrected Jesus. And, and from that experience, Saul was blinded. He went through a period of suffering, of not knowing what that would mean for his life. But because of some brave and generous and loving followers of Jesus, Saul was nurtured through that experience. His, his sight was restored, and he became one of the most prolific leaders in the period of the early church. If you turn to the New Testament and and read there, much of what you will read there was written by a man who participated in the first murder of a Christian to be martyred for their faith. That's Saul's story. A man who started out as an adversary, a man who started out as a murderer, a man who was given a second chance, who embraced that second chance and changed his life and changed the course of history forever through the way in which he lived his life. In the book of Galatians, a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, this is how uh, Paul, that's his later renamed, this is how Paul described that transformation in his life. Uh, he said, I have been crucified with Christ And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So a man who was given a second chance, a man who decided to live a redemptive story, the way he described that transformation was this. He said, there was a time in my life where where I died. Saul was no more. The person I used to be was no more. And, And the idea of life being about me was no more. The life I now live, he writes, I live in Jesus, Jesus lives in me. In other words, Saul made a decision that his life would no longer be about him. His life would be about Jesus. So last week we said that that if you want to live a redemptive story, you have to know what you want. You have to clarify what it is that your life is about. When you wake up every single morning, you have to, you have to know, what am I going to do with my life today? How am I going to invest my life today? What, what is, what is, where's the passion and the energy of my life going to go? You have to know what you want. But once you've done that work, once you've honed that down and you have an understanding of what your life is about, the next step is to step back from that, to look at it and ask yourself the next critical question, which is, is that life really worth pursuing? Is that dream that you have, is that vision of what your life is about, the thing that you are giving all your energy and all your passion to, the thing that gets you up in the morning and gets you going and and, and you have so much excitement about, you have to look at that and ask yourself the question, is that even worth pursuing? Is that even worth giving my life to? Or is it possible that in in the pursuit of that thing, when you find yourself at the end of that road, you're going to step back and go, what in the world was that for? Why did I think that was so important? Why did I think that that was worth investing my life in? In other words, a redemptive story requires that you build the right kind of life. And if that dream, if that vision, if that thing that you are pushing towards with all of your energy and all your enthusiasm is ultimately about you, then you're going to discover at the end of that road that the value that you hoped to create is not there. Because that's not how we measure life. We never measure life by how much is, is about building ourselves up, but by, but by those who give their life away. That's what we celebrate. That's what we mark. That's what we appreciate. 
is generosity and selflessness. So what kind of life, what kind of life are you building? And what is it that you are really pursuing? The ability that Woody has throughout all three films that is really remarkable, it's something that we should look at and, and, and strive for in our own life, is Woody has the ability throughout, again, many chaotic circumstances that he finds himself in, he, he has the ability to remember what his life is all about. Now, it takes him some time. He struggles through that. I mean, that's, that's what makes the film interesting, is that there is conflict that has to be overcome in order to get there. But, but that's the ability that Woody has better than, than really all the other toys, is he, he remembers what his life is really all about. And there's actually something that Woody does. There's a practice uh, that he has, a discipline that he has, that helps him through this process, something that he does in all three films to remember what his life is about. Do you remember what it is? In all three films, when, when Woody finds himself not really knowing, he, he's turned around, he's confused, he's trying to process through all these things that he's going through, the way in which he resets himself, the way in which he remembers what his life is about, is he picks up his foot and he looks at the bottom of his shoe. And this is what he finds. He finds the name of a boy the name of his owner, the name of the, of the boy who he loves. And he remembers in that moment, amidst whatever he is facing, whatever circumstances is, he, is lying before him, he remembers that this is what my life is about. My life is about Andy. And then what Woody does to get through whatever he has in front of him is he, he, just, he just keeps this thought in front of him that my life is not about me. My life is about Andy. So here's a question I want to ask you today. If you went home today and you took your shoe and you had a Sharpie and you just decided to write on the bottom of your shoe what your life is about, what would you write? What would you say? Whose names would you place there? What dream would you describe? What vision are you chasing? And if you took the time to write those things down, to put those names and, and to, and to uh, uh, clarify what those dreams are, are those the things that are worth pursuing? Is that really the life that you want to be chasing? Because if you want to live a redemptive story, it requires that you build the right kind of life. A life that is ultimately not about you and your wishes and your wants and your desires, but a life where you learn the value of giving your life away, of living generously, of living selflessly, so that one day you can stop and look back on it and say, that was worth it. That was worth pursuing. That was worth giving myself to. Paul said, I've been crucified. My life is over as far as I'm concerned. The life that was about me. Now my life is about the one who lives in me. And it's about giving that life away. It's about living a life that is bigger than you, one in which you learn the value of giving yourself away. And in the process, you invite others to discover their own redemptive story 
as well. So today I want to invite you to consider what is your life really about? What is the dream that you are pursuing? Is it about you? Or is it about giving your life away? Let's pray. Gracious God, we pause to give you thanks for Jesus and for the way in which he lived before us a redemptive story. For the remembrance of his body broken and his blood shed, his life emptied in order to share the gift of life with each of us. Help us, Lord, today to find clarity, to understand what's really at stake in our life and to remember that the value of life it's never about us but it's about how we learn to give our lives away help us Lord to live the right kind of story we pray all this in Jesus name Amen